guys, you're tuning into the Philippi Conversations podcast. Hey, the following conversation was an interview that I did live over YouTube with a friend named Jim Brumbach. And Jim is just a fantastic guy. He's involved in all kinds of different areas, sits on something like 17 different boards in our community here in Grants Pass. If you enjoy this conversation, don't forget to hit subscribe um, on YouTube or on our podcast on Apple or Google. All right. Well, hey, everybody out there. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. We are here in the Hive studio with a good friend of mine, Jim Brumbach. Jim, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate appreciate having you here, man. Good to be here, Sam. So, yeah, this is this is kind of a new thing that we're doing here at uh, Philippi. We're trying to find ways in this moment to just um, bring content and bring conversation and things that we would normally do on Sundays to, you know, to your homes and, and allow you to kind of tune in and listen. So, yeah, super stoked to to be here. Now, um, the reason I, I invited Jim as uh, Jim is Jim is just one of a kind guy. When I first came out here, or when I was even just talking about coming out here, um, I was asking different people, you know, who do I talk to? Who's the who's the person that's gonna you know kind of help me? Uh, who's the person going to kind of help me understand Grant's past better? Cause I'm sort of this new guy, you know, doesn't, I <laughs> don't know the culture I'm from, from Medford. And, and I had, I must've had at least five or six different people say, you got to talk to Jim, you got to talk to Jim, you got to talk to Jim. And I'm like, okay, who is this Jim Brumback? You know? And so I think I finally traced you down and you were just so gracious and kind to, to meet with me and to, um, invite me into, into your circle. And, and you just immediately went to work on connecting me and our church, you know, to, to different individuals. I think, you know, you brought me down to uh, a city council meeting. You introduced me to the mayor. You took me to the food bank, um, met with me a few times and, and just uh, really introduced me to some of the culture. Uh, and Jim, you just have a really unique ability with people, a really unique ability of connecting people, which I, I just find really, really cool and really useful, I think, to the kingdom of God. And you've labored in this city labored in this place for so much longer than I have, um, that I value you as a resource, um, as well as a friend, but as a resource, you know, of, of, of understanding what God is doing in this city and how, you know, our church can sort of be a, be part of that. Um, so, but let, let's kind of introduce you a little bit to, to, uh, to our church and to anyone who's, who's listening in. Now, I know you, um, I'd love to hear some of your background, but currently, you know, like you sit on like, what are you, 17, 18 different board of yeah, something like that. something like that. So you're just, you're, you're <clears throat> kind of a spider webbed into all kinds of different areas, uh, in the city. You, you have a, a background in ministry and everything. So tell us a little bit about who is Jim, where, as you always say, who is Jim and, uh, how did you get here and what have you been doing in Grants Pass for the last 20 years? Yeah. Cause you've been really intentional with your time. So, uh, raised in Eastern Oregon, went to Multnomah School of the Bible, as it was then called, and then uh, from Multnomah went to University of Oregon, where I was a philosophy major, and graduated with a bachelor's degree there, and when I was 21, was licensed as a pastor in a conservative Baptist church, <laughs> and did that for just a short time before I realized, you know something, I don't think this is what I'm cut out for. Yes, the pastorate, but not a conservative Baptist church, nothing against that denomination, but the church was pretty ingrown. So I started a little church of uh, college students, started with about 30 people, and ended up starting five small churches that were generally 50 to 100 because we thought the answer to the world's problems was small churches <laughs> that were connected with each other. Mm. And then in uh, 1983, after I had... Uh, continued my education through California Graduate School, uh, getting a master's and doctorate degree. I got a call from a friend who'd also gone to Multnomah, 
And he said, time to take a sabbatical. So uh, I went to Chicago for what was supposed to be 16 months to uh, do back office help for a uh, trading company. But as the Lord would have it with his sense of humor, uh, in two weeks, I was trading options on $100,000 bonds in the Chicago Board Options Exchange, got a seat also at the Mercantile Exchange and the Board of Trade, mm-hmm. and 16 months ended up being uh, nine years and uh, made about oh, some millions <laughs> and uh, then retired from that, uh, went through a bout of prostate cancer, then went back into church work, uh, a executive pastor, church that grew from 250 to 1300 while we were there, retired from that in 99, came out here in 2001 and started working with pastors and realized uh, after about three or four years, probably this isn't how we're going to change the world and uh, started working with civic leaders. So I work, yes, with churches, but also with civic leaders. And as you mentioned, getting on boards, that's kind of my way of establishing contact with the people that I want to be relating to. Uh, Cheryl and I have two kids, Andy and David, who are 45 and 50, and seven grandkids. Mm, wow, that's great, man. Yeah, and, and Dave, uh, Dave attends here at Philippi. It's a real joy to have him and, and, and his family and a part of our, our crew here. So that that's um, man, you are one of the few people that I know that uh, you have a background in pastoral ministry and stock trading. I, yeah. I don't think I know anybody else that has that background, yeah. that resume. How do you think working in such different types of fields like that has shaped you as an individual? A lot of it has to do with how people relate to me. When I was a pastor, I get one type of response from people. And when they heard that I'd worked as a floor trader in the stock market, I got a totally different type of response. <laughs> uh, but bringing the two together... Yeah, I am able to relate to pastors and the things that they face. But when I talk with civic leaders, uh, they respect the fact that I've been in the business world. And I feel a lot more confident myself having done both. Mm, yeah, that makes that makes sense. So tell us a little bit about kind of your vision and what, what I really would hopefully is the Lord's vision, I think, for, for Grant's Pass and how you um, kind of structure your life in such a way that, that um, you know, furthers uh, that particular vision. So I know, I know that I've heard you before. You have, you have big goals. One thing I love about you, Jim, is you always tell us what your goals are. You say, this is my intention or this is my agenda. Um, and, and this is what I'm trying to see happen. What is your, what is your goal that you're working towards in our community, uh, in Grants Pass? And what are you doing to kind of get there? So in a few words, it's improving our community while advancing Christ's kingdom. Back in 1970, I'm not sure what you were doing in 1970, Sam. <laughs> a lot of nothing. I wasn't alive. I had started work at California Graduate School of Theology and wrote my master's thesis on mentoring or small groups. And then when I wrote my dissertation, it was on how churches, Christian organizations, and Christians could impact their community while advancing Christ's kingdom. Then I took that detour, went to Chicago, came back, and when I came to Grants Pass, I uh, was looking for an opportunity to do what I'd written about in actually advancing Christ's kingdom while improving a community. So getting to know leaders was key, and I started by getting to know pastors in the 50 churches in the area. And then I realized 
an awful lot of what's shaping our culture is not the churches, but it is uh, what some people call the pillars of our culture, things like media, education, politics, and so on. And so I started meeting leaders in those areas. And so that's uh, my general goal to improve our community while advancing Christ's kingdom. But an awful lot of that is done through networking, particularly with leaders, because they're at the cutting edge Mm -hmm. of our culture. They're the ones that are shaping the direction of our culture for good or bad. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like churches have a hard time stitching the two things together. Um, you could call it maybe social justice or uh, politics or what's going on, you know, in more of the um, just mainstream or secular realm of our culture. Uh, churches seem to either go one of two extremes, right? They go towards the uh, kind of inbred, hey, we're just going to focus on what's going on within our walls, or they go the other route where they're just sort of only a social justice organization. Um, what, what, what do you think that is? And, and how it seems like you kind of have this vision to sort of stitch the two together as maybe they should be. What's your biblical paradigm for that, your worldview that sort of gets you to that, that place? Yeah. And simply put, you know, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And both of those symbols have to do with getting out and seasoning the culture or bringing illumination to the culture where you can't do that if you're cloistered in a building or cloistered in your ministry. You have to get out where the action is Mm -hmm. and bring the Lord to other people. Right. So uh, simply put, I just don't see how you can do what Christ mandated us to do without getting into culture, given what your particular calling is. You know, if you're a person who works with cars, yeah, you do that in your garage or so. If you're a politician or an educator, uh, you do it in your area by touching the people in your area Mm. with the gospel. But there seems to be this divorce, generally speaking, within the church where people stay cloistered in the building. And when they get into their arena in culture the same way, they tend to leave their Christian faith at the church and then just pursue their secular calling, uh, divorced from their faith. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the Old Testament um, and and the New Testament, I think, has a lot to say, right, about um, how we should affect the culture that we're part of. Like I think of uh, Jeremiah twenty nine, the famously misquoted passage. You know, for I know the plans that I have for you. Um, you know, in in that the context of that passage, God is telling Israel that hey. I want you to bless Babylon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what? What do you what do you mean bless Babylon? I mean, these guys yeah. are pagans. These guys are they're they are the uh the archetype of a sinful culture. Yet God tells these guys, hey, yeah. take wives, plant gardens, and um if you bless them, uh it will be a blessing to you, you know. Yeah. Uh and so and, and I think we see that in the New Testament well as well, you know, a call for for caring about the society, yeah. you know, that we're in. And and I think that just that that's so confusing, I think. For Christians, because we want to live in this black and white, you know, uh, ecosystem where we're sort of us versus them. But in reality, Jesus's vision for the world, right, was that we would be um, a city on a hill, that we would not just be a beacon inside of a building, but that we would actually infiltrate secular culture with the gospel, you know. And I think part of uh, doing that is 
being willing to s- sort of insert yourself into relationships that maybe are not um, inside the box. One of the things I, I and I, this is maybe jumping ahead, but one of the things I like uh, about watching you interact with with people, Jim, is your ability to connect with somebody who maybe isn't a Christian um, and then begin sort of a relationship mm-hmm. where you can start investing relational equity in them uh, and move it towards a discipleship relationship, but you don't rush it. You don't push it. Talk a little bit about your method. Uh, this is something we're trying to learn as a church here at Philippi is how do yeah. we we call it long-term evangelism, uh, you know, rather than just walking up to someone on the street and saying, hey, are you a sinner? Have you ever sinned? You know, or whatever method it is, but actually infiltrating their life as a friend. Infiltrating sounds like you have bad motives, but you know what I mean? Actually, you know, becoming a friend with them and then uh, being able to get to a place where you can really speak to them. How, how do you do that? What is your method? I've seen you do that up close, but maybe speak to that uh, a little bit, Jim. A lot of it has to do with what comes my way. Uh, now we're in the political season. Mm. We're less than a month away from the primaries. And so since I do network, people call me typically on a day like today, maybe four or five calls, people wanting to have me help them with their campaign. Yesterday, uh, it was a guy who's running for judge. He called and asked if I could help with, uh, he has to make some contacts within law enforcement, wondering if I would help him with that. And when I talk with people, I generally ask to get together with them and I ask them to tell me their story. And in, uh, first of all, I share my own story. I Mm -hmm. limit that to about three minutes, but as they share their story, I ask questions and very often I ask them to continue sharing as I ask questions for 30, 45 minutes. And in the course of things, they let me know where they're at. If they haven't shared a relationship with the Lord, I'll ask them, uh, is God part of your journey? Where are you spiritually? And uh, people are very free to share that with me, depending on where they're at. Uh, even if they're non-believers or anti-Christian, they will share that with me. Uh, and from there, we begin a discussion of where they're at. Very often, I'll ask them, uh, do you have a relationship with God? Do you feel that you have a personal relationship? And if they do, they tell me about it. If I think they're off base, I'll subtly begin telling them what I think the truth is. If, on the other hand, they're on target, I ask them, has anyone ever mentored you? Uh, Very often they'll say, generally, they'll say no. And I'll say, would you like to be mentored? Mm -hmm. And probably half the time they'll say, yeah. And so we'll begin a relationship that way. On the other hand, there are some people that I just feel the Lord wants me to contact. And so I'll just give them a call. I'm thinking of a person who is a leader in our community. And about two years ago, I called him, didn't know him. He didn't know me as far as I knew, although it turned out he had heard of me. Turns out he was making a change in his profession, and it would be helpful for him to meet someone who was a networker. So when I asked him if uh, we could get together, he said, sure, we got together. It turns out that he had a very... Uh, kind of a pioneering, or I should say a basic faith, just started in his Uh faith. And uh, as I asked him if he wanted to be mentored, said, yeah, so we've been meeting ever since, weekly. Mm. Uh, So sometimes it's just people reaching out to me because of the contacts I have. Sometimes it's me reaching out to people because of an interest I have in what they're doing and their role in the community. Right. Yeah, I love that. I think think, uh, 
it's it's almost like a pipeline, right? I mean, you have uh, different people at different places, and and not everybody you meet is instantly going to be an opportunity to share the deepest things of Christ and to get you know to really reach into their yeah. soul. Um, you know, obviously Jesus had that ability, right, to just right out of the gate to get into the real nitty gritty of what was going on in that person's life, but. But I, I like thinking of, of it as a pipeline. Like I have someone that's clear back here. Man, I just started with them. Maybe they have a very yeah. basic baby understanding of what scripture is. But then maybe I have someone that's, that that I've been walking with for some time that been able to develop some spiritual truth, you know, and yeah. and, uh, and and listen and understand them. I think one of the, the main, you know, misses that people do with evangelism is they don't listen. You know, they don't, they don't know who they're actually talking to and they've made assumptions, you know, based off of some kind of evangelistic curriculum they heard on yeah. YouTube. Uh, it says, you know, if you just do these three steps, you're going to lead people to Christ, you know, and, uh, you know, I, <laughs> instead of actually hearing what they actually believe and, and odds are they have a list of experiences and thoughts and beliefs that you didn't even, you know, weren't even prepared necessarily to engage. Right. Absolutely. You know, hearing people's story, uh, to me is, how God has been mentoring them. Even if they're a non-Christian, God has an agenda in their life. He's reaching out to them. So I'm listening to, yes, their story, but I'm listening to where God has been uh, reaching into their life or attempting to reach into their life. And I try to delve into that with them and help them see uh, what God has been doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, two things real quick, too, that I wanted to bring up. So you you have um, your thumb on the pulse of the Christian community um, in Grants Pass. I think more than anyone really can afford to have because, uh, you know, you you get to go, and you do, you go to a different church every week. Now, I know you're, mm-hmm. you're in Elder at River Valley. You're plugged in. That's your that's your home church, correct? But, but you are constantly around at different churches. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know that's probably been a little bit more limited, you know, as of late, mm-hmm. but how would you say that the Christian community is faring right now in yeah. the midst of this crisis? Um, and and uh, what have you been hearing from, from different Christian leaders? Um, you know, do you think that uh, the church is thriving right now, the church in Grants Pass, or, or is it floundering? Yeah. And I do visit about 50 different churches in the area of very often on a weekend, I'll visit three or four. So that means I'll just be there for part of the service. But there's things that I'm looking for when I go there. I usually engage three or four people uh, while I'm there, ask them why they go there, what it means to them, how long they've been going there. And uh, sometimes I'll ask them what the message was about. And it's kind of interesting <laughs> what they hear and what they don't hear. But uh, as far as how is the church doing in our area, uh, probably I'm a little bit of a radical voice in uh, answering that question. I would say more than 50% of the churches in this area are on hospice and don't know it. That is, they're in a dying process. When you come in the door, it's not that the people are inhospitable, but immediately you see people who are generally 60 and older, very, very few uh, children, very few young people, and everything's geared towards that older, more traditional view, and you recognize very quickly this church is in a process of dying. It may take a week. It may take uh, a couple of years, may take 10 years. This, what's happened in the last two months with the virus, is going to hasten the process for a lot of people as far as their own physical health, but it's going to hasten the process for a lot of churches because financially it's going to hurt them badly, not just because they haven't been 
meeting regularly, but because there's going to be growing unemployment probably in our nation that's probably not going to change in a month or six months. Uh, we're probably in for a long-term recession here, and people have less discretionary giving, and an awful lot of people, like it or not, give out of their discretionary giving rather than out of their faithfulness. So financially, it's going to hurt churches, but a lot of people also are going to say, uh, I've learned something during this last month. Mm -hmm. Church doesn't mean to me as much as I thought it did. So an awful lot of people who were just kind of parenthetical to the church process are going to drop away. So I think a lot of churches that were on hospice are going to find that they're closer to death than they ever realized. On the other hand, some of the churches that are vibrant really are learning some things, making adaptations that are going to be permanent to their church life and are going to affect them after this virus passes and after this uh, present economic crisis passes. Yeah. Do you think that that is, how do I say it? Okay, there, there's a natural cycle to a human life. Mm-hmm. Okay, part of part of living in a fallen world is that you're constantly moving towards dying, and and that's sort of part of um, just the way the world is right now. Um, what about churches? Is that is should that be the way it is, or or should churches always live? I mean, I've had a conversation before with uh, Josh Johnson, who, who runs Church of the Valley, because he's similar to you. He's very connected with lots of different churches, and we had this conversation. You know, there are churches that are dying. There are churches that are just barely alive. Now, those Christians aren't going to cease to be Christians if yeah. that little organization sort of goes yeah. away. Um, so it's not as though we're losing people from the faith. Should churches die at some point, or is it always God's will that they be revived? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a big push right now for church planners um, to maybe not plant churches, but to revitalize. Um, you know, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the life cycle? Is there a life cycle to a church, or I don't know? <laughs> a church has lost contact with its calling. Uh, definitely has a life cycle, and it's not good. Yeah, It's one that moves towards death. But a church that has a calling from God, I'd like to believe, is eternal in the sense that it will last until Jesus comes. Mm. And I think the whole uh, difference is whether or not people are hearing God's voice and revitalizing. You use the word uh, revitalizing. We used to talk back in the 50s and 60s about revivals. And we're thought, uh, we thought of that as bringing in people to hear the gospel. But uh, the revival process should be ongoing in a church. Uh, it was interesting when you mentioned Jeremiah 29, because I read through the Bible each year. And uh, I'm, this morning I was in Jeremiah 24 through 30, so I covered that passage you were talking about. And here was a situation where people had been uprooted because they weren't following God and carried off to Babylon. Of course, there were people still back in uh, Jerusalem as well, but those are kind of the people that yeah. just been left there. Mm-hmm. And then in the New Testament, I was reading Hebrews 3 and 4. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness and saw my works for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness until they died. And that's where an awful lot of churches are. They're wandering in the wilderness until they die. They don't realize they're in a process of death, but they are because they aren't actively hearing God's voice and making the life-changing, courageous choices and actions that they need to make to stay alive. 
Man, it's amazing how much a church life uh, reminds me of a human life in that, uh, you you know, the identity crisis, the, what do yeah. we call it, the midlife crisis. Yeah. You know, you've kind of been running your life on this future vision of yourself, and then you hit a certain age. I don't know exactly what age that is, 50 or something. Yeah. And you go, wow, you know, um, either I did it and it was empty, or, man, I never really accomplished what I wanted. And then you go through this tailspin of, well, who am I really, and and what do I really, what am I really supposed to be doing in life, and et cetera. I think churches do a similar thing, don't they? I mean, they, they kind of start strong with this real clear vision and identity of who they're um, going to intend to be, who they're going to intend to reach, and then sometimes they actually get it, and then they sort of just try to protect it, and then they lose that freshness of resetting their vision, or they just, they never get it, they become discouraged, you know, and they and they fade out. But I think, I think the church is in the West right now are dealing with somewhat of an identity crisis Mm -hmm. because I think where the churches have thrived is when it's been obvious where the church is needed in the community. Like the church is needed. I mean, think about the church maybe a hundred or so years ago before DHS and child welfare and a lot of the programs, the government programs that we have, uh, the church was the major source of the adoptions in culture. The the church was who took in uh, orphans, who took in kids who were being abused. The church was who was supporting um, soup kitchens and funding, you know, and Mm -hmm. now the government is largely covering those areas. And I think churches are sort of like, well, what's our role, you know, in in the community? And so uh, instead that the focus tends to become on making the production value of a service better or making better programs or something like that. How do we revitalize that mission to our community when it feels like a lot of the things are already being achieved by government programs? What would you say? Yeah, you have to reinsert yourself, and it takes a certain amount of courage. Uh, there are churches that are saying, uh, we want to attract a younger population, and they'll hire a pastor uh, who is supposed to uh, reach out to the young people. But when that person starts making the changes in the life of the church that would bring that about, uh, they don't like it. They resist that, and the pastor either leaves or they fire him or he settles into the tradition that they want. Uh, beyond that, reaching out into the community takes a really revolutionary approach where it's pretty risky, pretty scary, but you have to get out where the action is. Now, for me, that's meant becoming part of uh, boards and agencies where I feel important things are happening. For instance, uh, seven years ago, I became part of the uh, county uh, budget process. Each year they have a budget committee meeting and there are three citizens on that and then the three county commissioners are part of that. Well, in our hearings, we hear from all the major departments in the county. Well, follow the money. Mm. You know, if you want to know what's going on in a county, see what's happening financially. And as the leaders present what they're doing, you see Here's what's happening in those important areas, but also people who are leading in those areas are very willing to talk to you individually because you are making decisions regarding their purse strings. So it gives you an opportunity to speak to them personally, and that's where those relationships occur. Mm -hmm. And then, as you mentioned earlier, Sam, uh, listening to the people, seeing what their heartbeat is, yes, for their calling, for their career, for that area of responsibility, but where are they at spiritually And then as you have opportunity, as people are willing, as people are open, you start uh, delving into that area and finding out where they're really at spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of churches, right, they they get confused on this idea that, well, the church doesn't exist just to, to 
sort of accommodate a physical need in our community, right? The church exists um, to glorify God and, and, and to actually reach the lost with the gospel. And if, you know, and, and that doesn't mean we don't have um, responsibilities to care for, you know, the, the last, the least, the lost in our community, but the church is meant to really be a disciple making uh, machine, right? That's, that was the intention of the church when Jesus said go and, and the great commission was to make disciples you know and so to be able to pull people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light but I think to do that we have to spread our people into our communities instead of sort of trying to clump them and keep them in all of our programs so they can't you know one of the things mm-hmm. that that we will um, have and probably will take criticism for is, is sort of a lack of church programming um, and, and I think a lot of people think in order for a church to grow you have to have lots of programs that reach every different, you know, I need a program for my single college student. I need a program for my 80 year old grandmother. I need a program. You need a wanna, you need that. There's nothing wrong with those things. But our philosophy is like, well, if you do all of those things, people don't have any time to go be involved in things outside of the walls of the church to actually build relationships with people, to bring Mm -hmm. them inside the walls. I mean, people aren't walking into churches anymore. That's the reality. I mean, I think any, anyone, you know, with half, half a brain sees that non-Christians are running away from the church. <laughs> They're not running to the church. And so how do we get them? Well, we don't get them, you know, by holding a sign, I think. I think we get them through relationship, you know, and that's that's something that I, I think we're just trying to really, really hit home with our, our people. It's something that I see you doing, um, Jim. Let me turn the corner a little bit here. I wanted to really introduce um, to our people uh, for GP, and, and everyone's probably wondering, what that is. I put that as kind of a header on this when I was advertising mm-hmm. and people were thinking, is that cell phone coverage? Or I thought we were moving to 5G. Um, yeah. And so maybe talk about the roots of that, um, you know, how that went from Church of the Valley and what Church of the Valley even is into 4GP. Um, mm-hmm. Explain all that so that we can, as a church, kind of get behind that because we are, from a leadership perspective, we're 100% behind what you and Josh and the board or the others are doing mm-hmm. with 4GP. But explain what that is so we can understand that. 4GP, for Grants Pass, has to do with how do we reach out into the major cultural arenas of our community, uh, like education, like governance, like uh, media, like social services. So we want to have leaders, Christians, in each of those areas who are already working in those areas, uh, join together with other people working in those areas and talk about how can we bring the gospel in creative ways that really meet the needs of that area uh, to this area of, say, education or politics. Uh, So in a nutshell, that's what it is. Defining what these different areas are, finding the leaders that are Christians that are already there, and working with them to find their compatriots so they can together come up with a strategy from the Lord that they can carry out that, yes, is going to bring improvement to that area, bring the thing that the community is looking for in that area, but also advance Christ's kingdom while lifting up Christ in that area. Hmm. Okay, and so one of the things, practically speaking, that that's going to look like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is so um, for those of you out there that don't know, every, um, is it the first Monday or first Thursday, I can't remember, we have a breakfast, mm-hmm. and all the pastors or mm-hmm. church leadership come to those breakfasts and we uh, kind of collaborate and catch up and, and, and have a great time. And that's been going for years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of that uh, is shifting, maybe kind of evolving now into wanting to branch out into all leadership. 
yes. uh, all, all all sort of Christian leadership because I think I think you guys are realizing right that um, in order to really change the fiber of our society here for the kingdom, we need to go beyond just pastoral influence. Um, pastoral pastors have influence, but they don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the influence, that's for sure, right? I mean, there's yes. there's community leaders, city council members, mayors, business owners. So you guys are, are branching out, right, and inviting those people. Now, beyond them attending the breakfasts, what, what practical kind of things are going to happen that are going to really bring that together? It turns out that some of our most dynamic leaders who are shaping our communities in some of the most powerful ways are Christians. But very often, they don't have a vision for how can I advance Christ's kingdom in the process? How can I lift up Christ in ways that are acceptable in today's culture, which is moving towards becoming more and more anti-Christian? How can I do that? How can I do that in the educational arena where I'm not allowed to talk about God in unrestricted ways? How can I do that as a politician? How can I do that in my area of media? How can I do that in social services? How do we relate to the poor in a way that lifts up Christ? So helping the leaders gain a vision for this is what I could do in my area of influence and then helping them find the other people who are in their area who have a relationship with Christ, who have a similar worldview, who can work together with them to accomplish those ends. Mm, I love that. That seems to be just like we said in the beginning, it seems to be something that churches are are missing is, um, you know, you sometimes the most qualified people in your church probably aren't the leadership. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you have people running multi-million dollar businesses in a way that is God honoring. I mean, we have, I just think about the people that come to our church and I'm just thinking we have people that are very successful, um, that are very competent, they're very capable and very influential. Um, and if, and if we're trying to make the name of Jesus famous in our community, if we're trying to influence his kingdom, and the expansion of his kingdom, then we should be accessing those, yes. those people collaboratively, right? Yes. And not only having our people reach out into the community in their arena, but bringing that arena into the church. Uh, today's church service is generally focused around a teaching and a time of singing or uh, celebration worship together. But why not do as you've done, uh, Sam, in bringing leaders in various arenas as part of your service to share what they're doing and how Christians could help in their arena. Because every area we have in culture, uh, certainly education, you think about the problems that are going on in our educational world right now, whether it's with kids you know, in primary school, in high school, or at a college level, there are serious, serious problems that really aren't effectively being addressed. But the church has answers to those problems how do we bring those answers into that arena and uh, have the people come into the church, share that with the church? And in the process, there will be people in the church who will say, you know something, I'm in that area or I have an interest in that area. And if I had a track to run on, I would be glad to get involved. Mm -hmm. So bringing that into the church as well as taking the church into those arenas. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I I think that's uh, exactly where our focus needs to be, you know, as, as, as churches, as Christians, um, is, is really, I, I think about how many parables there were in the teachings of Christ about stewardship, you know, and stu- stewardship, meaning like God gave us all these resources and how are we using them to, to multiply the fruit? That was always mm-hmm. the goal of the parable, you know, and the, the vineyard owner would come back and they hadn't multiplied the talent or they hadn't multiplied the vineyard or they, you know, and I think God has invested so much resource into his church and, and largely that resource, not only financially, but it's people. 
mm-hmm. their abilities and their skills, you know, and I think it's, it's oftentimes on us on church leadership to, um, to figure out how to access those. And, mm-hmm. and I think through start and conversation always starts everything, right? A good conversation, really asking the right questions, you know, I think is, is huge. What would you say the biggest hurdle is for the vision of 4GP, which is really bringing together, you know, all of those different influencers, thinkers, Christians in our community for the common sort of direction of building God's kingdom. What would you say the biggest kind of influence or biggest uh, hurdle is for you guys uh, moving forward and for us, I should say, I'm part of that as well. One of the biggest hurdles has to be just the mentoring of the people who are Christians who are in leadership in these various arenas. In many cases, these people have gone to church all their life or for years. And even though they've heard sermons, generally 50 a year, maybe 10 years, 500 sermons, when you ask them basic questions about uh, a worldview, a Christian worldview, or about the scripture, they don't know. They are like the math student who hears the math teacher explain the process uh, on the whiteboard, but then when they go home and try to do it, they find that they can't Mm. solve the equation. The same way with people, they've heard these sermons, they're agreeing with them, they've been entertained, but they haven't really learned from it. So coming to have a knowledge of Scripture, coming to have a Christian worldview, and then coming to see how does that impact the arena I'm in and how do I implement that in the arena, Uh, which generally involves, first of all, just finding other like-minded Christians and helping mentor them. I'm working with a leader right now who has started a small group among his compatriots in his area, and uh, these leaders and their spouses get together weekly for time in the word, for sharing that's particularly relevant to the area that they're working in and growing together as Christians and growing together in their friendship. But it's this basic mentoring that is lacking. Even though people are attending church, even though they're listening to sermons, even though maybe they're having Bible study, although this is uh, not true of most Christians, they're really not regularly involved in the word. They don't have that overall worldview and they have no idea of how to implement it in the arena of their life. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true, man. What what would you say to someone out there who's listening to this and going, I want to mentor. I want to be involved. I, I want to be a, an influential person for the kingdom of God. Um, but man, you know, I'm just, I'm just working a blue collar job or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what, what would you say the steps are to moving into becoming a, more of a person of influence for the kingdom of God? I would think one way uh, is, first of all, your own personal life, making sure that you are growing in the word, that you have a good uh, process for coming to know the whole counsel of God and understand how it affects your area. If you don't have that, you need to seek out someone who can give that to you. And then secondly, find other people in your area who are believers, who are open or who are open to the gospel and sharing with them and getting together on a regular basis and in a very uh, honest way, genuine way, start working together. By genuine, honest, I mean admitting where your shortcomings are, admitting in your own personal life, in your vocational life, in your marriage life, that kind of sharing going on where you're growing together as Christians and then talking creatively, how do we bring this to the people 
around us. And a number of the people that I'm working with right now are in the process of doing that. And it's amazing what God is doing as they're reaching out in this way. Mm, yeah. Let me bring up one more quick topic and then we'll, and then we'll end here. Um, and, and that is the topic of politics. And, and I don't necessarily want to talk about politics, but uh, what I am curious to talk about, I feel like a lot of Christians feel this uncomfortableness mm -hmm. uh, about talking about politics within the church or with Christians. Uh, either they overemphasize politics to where it sort of starts to become like a partisanship thing, or they just feel like we can't talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. I've noticed and felt and uh, seen that tension come up in our church a few times. And you're someone who is involved in the political realm, also involved in the, in the Christian realm. Um, and, and how do you think we should balance um, as believers and as churches um, being involved in politics um, where, where is the line where that becomes unhealthy? And would you say mm -hmm. that we are on one side or the other of that line in particular? I think we need to realize, first of all, how politics does affect our faith and affect the city in which we live, uh, the state and the nation. Honestly, Sam, I don't have a lot of optimism about my ability to affect Washington, D.C. <laughs> or Salem. But locally, I can have an impact. This is a relatively small community, you know, 35,000 people in a county of around 85,000. Uh, there's probably 100 to 200 people who are shaping this culture. And a good percentage of those people are in the political arena. Uh, the interesting thing is when elections come, those people want to get elected uh, or want to get reelected. And so they're reaching out for help and they realize that the faith community represents a block of 5,000 to 10,000 people, depending on who you're counting, that are potential voters. And so they're very interested in reaching out to the faith community. So it gives you an opportunity to talk with people, particularly during the season from now, actually from the beginning of this year, particularly up through November. And then we go into a period where they aren't so anxious to hear. So you have to make, take advantage of this time whether you're a person who's just um, minimally interested reaching out to a politician or to a political group or a person who is uh, really very vitally interested and wants to get heavily involved. So I talk with judges. I talk with people who are running for uh, city council positions, people who are running for county commissioners. <clears throat> uh, we have offices you know, like our assessor. Uh, that right now is, is uh, that's a contested race. And so all of those arenas have implications on our community life. Realizing what those implications are, talking to the people involved, and uh, coming to understand where they're at spiritually and addressing them from that level. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Bringing the kind of, building the kind of relationships going to carry beyond the political season. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I think one of the things that we, do, unfortunately, in Christianity, we think of politics as politicians. <clears throat> and maybe this isn't just limited to the Christian community. I think this is just a maybe a millennial thing or whatever. Yeah. But we think of politics as politicians. And what we should really think of it as is policies. Yeah. Uh, because politicians, it sort of starts to feel partisan. It starts to feel tense. It starts to feel um, like you have an agenda or something. But when you think about politics meaning policies, that means that these are things that affect people. <clears throat> right? These are things that actually will affect your uh, family, affect your church, affect yeah. your friends, affect your neighbors, affect your community. And um, policy, politicians obviously make 
policies. <laughs> so it's all connected and it all yeah. matters. But I think to be Christians and not to care is actually sort of negligent, right? Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I think for some people it becomes like a hobby. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it can become unhealthy for them. It's more about, this is like a, this is just something I'm obsessed about yeah. um, rather than something I just, I care about because of good stewardship. Yeah. yeah. And I make friends with people, uh, typically for an office, like right now for Carl Wilson state rep seat, there are six people running for that. And I know most of those people personally, I try to maintain a good friendship. One of the people that's running, I'm in a mentoring relationship with, but I try to maintain a good relationship with all of the people, the same way I go to Democrat meetings, I go to Republican meetings, and I try to be conversant with people who are liberal and people who are conservative and all the stripes in between. I just don't think there's a need, even though I have my own particular outlook, to uh, in any way turn people off by the way I relate to them. I would hope that anyone realize I'm very interested in learning from them as well as sharing with them. And I do believe I can learn from people regardless of where they're at politically or the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. with the gay agenda, transgenders, I meet with people from all different walks of life and I learn from all of them and I try Mm -hmm. to share in that process. And as I listen to them, I do have opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Jim, how can we pray for you in the work and the ministry that you do? And you do a lot. You labor, uh, you labor a lot. Day to day, I see you meeting with, <laughs> you had two meetings already this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what what uh, are the particulars that we can pray for you in your ministry um, that God would sort of help you in particular ways? You know, obviously, first of all, just my own personal life, I have to walk closely with the Lord, that I'll always be true to the Lord, that I'll finish well. I'm 73, pushing on 74 now. Mm-hmm. I want to finish well. So my own personal life. But secondly, the currency that I work in is relationship. And it's all in the Lord's hands. He gives me favor with people. If the Lord opens doors, uh, then I have opportunity to talk with people. So just uh, that I will have those opportunities to meet the people who are the movers and shakers in our culture and in the process that God will give favor in developing friendships where people know that I really care about them. Those are the key things that I appreciate prayer for. Yeah, you got it. Well, let me pray for you real quick. And Thanks. We'll it out. Lord, thank you so much uh, for, for Jim and all that he does and all of the uh, various arenas that he's evol- involved in, Lord. Um, I thank you for how many people he has influenced and how many people he has discipled. And Lord, we just pray for more. God, we pray for more for your glory. Uh, and we pray, for, Lord, as he leads uh, so many arenas that affect us even and so many boards, so many organizations, Lord, that affect uh, us. We just pray for him to have wisdom and direction and clarity, Lord. Um, help him to just uh, remain healthy, both physically and spiritually, Lord. Uh, we just pray, Lord, uh, for him as a, as a church. Uh, everyone listening out there, we just come behind him, Lord, and, and pray that uh, your kingdom would come in his life. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jim, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I really, really appreciate it. It was fun Thanks, talking with Sam. you. And I hope you have a good day, man. You too.